Shalom, everyone. This is Luke Tanner from Zion Hebraic Congregation. Today's Shabbat message is from Luke chapter 19. Uh, feel free to check us out on our website, zionhebraiccongregation.com. There you'll find blog posts, other Shabbat messages, uh, as well as links to our social media, media accounts, um, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Enjoy. Mighty warriors arise, yeah. Freedom does lie only away. The soon is the day when we see your face on the mount of your grace and Shabbat Shalom, everybody. It's a whole crowd today. It's great. Um, if you want to turn, we're going to be in Luke chapter 19. Today. Um... I always think it's funny how you reread passages and different things come to your mind, you know, each time. Uh, And I think the Bible's somewhat unique in that way. Um, But I really like this passage. We're going to read Luke 19, 1 through 27. It's basically the passage about Zacchaeus, the wee little man. So actually, it was the first song I learned on guitar. (laughs) GCD. And um, so, yeah, we're going to read this story, and hopefully, it's probably not going to be anything earth-shattering, but I don't know, I found it encouraging to me, and um, we're going to get into what Yeshua talks about um, at kind of towards the end of that interaction with Zacchaeus, and the parable that he tells them, and I think it's a very pertinent message Um, for us today, especially living in the diaspora. Obviously, Yeshua, knowing everything, knew, I think, what was going to happen to his people, um, what was happening at the time, and what was going to need to happen as time went on, as the scattered 12 tribes and all those 10 tribes were going to be gathered back unto him and all those that would join themselves unto him. Um, would be happening because it was a very messianic, there was like a messianic energy in the air, obviously, at the time of his coming. A lot of people were waiting his coming and they were seeing the signs of the times and and I think the same thing is going on now. Um, But what's interesting to me is what Yeshua uh, tells them to do. And so we're going to get into that and hopefully you'll be blessed as I was. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this Shabbat, this time to be together, this place to be together, that we can read and learn from your word and um, that you instruct us through it uh, to give us strength and energy and wisdom and discernment to walk through this life, even though it's just one giant gray area. And But I love the beauty of how you don't shy away from that in your word and that it's real uh, and that it's not um, 
some like pie in the sky idealistic thing that we're never going to attain to, but that it's practical wisdom and knowledge for us to walk out our daily lives. And so I thank you for that, God. And just uh, pray that you would work in and through us with your spirit uh, today. In Yeshua's name, amen. So let's go ahead and read this and then we'll, we'll kind of pick it apart and go through it. So Luke chapter 19, verse 1. And Yeshua entered and passed through Jericho. Behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans, and he was rich. And he sought to see Yeshua who he was, and could not for the press, because he was little of stature. And he ran before and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was to pass that way. And when Yeshua came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste, come down, for today I must abide at thy house. And he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all murmured, saying, That he is gone to be a guest with a man that is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said unto him, Lord, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. Yeshua said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house, for so much as he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. And as they heard these things, he added and spake a parable, because he was nigh unto Jerusalem, and because they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. And he said, Therefore, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive himself a kingdom and to return. And he called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, Occupy till I come. But his citizens hated him, and sent a message after him, saying, We will not have this man to reign over us. And it came to pass that when he was returned, having received the kingdom, then he commanded these servants to be called unto him, to whom he had given them money, that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Then came the first, saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained ten pounds. And then he said unto him, Well, thou good servant, because thou hast been faithful in a very little, have thou authority over ten cities." And the second came and saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained five pounds. And he said likewise unto him, Be thou also over five cities. And another came saying, Lord, behold, here's thy pound, which I have kept thee laid up in a napkin. For I feared thee, because thou art an austere man, thou takest up that which thou layest not down, and reapest that thou did not sow. And he said unto him, Out of thy own mouth I will judge thee, thou wicked servant. Thou knewest that I was an austere man, taking up that which I laid not down, and reaping that I did not so. Wherefore then gavest not thou money, thy money unto the bank, that at my coming I or my money unto the bank, that at my coming I might have required my own with usury. And he said unto them that stood by, Take from him the pound and give it to him that hath ten pounds. And they said unto him, Lord, he hath ten pounds. For I say unto you that every one that hath shall be given, and from him that hath not even that he hath shall be taken away from him. But those enemies, which would not that I should reign over them, bring hither and slay them before me. <laughs> it's just, I love the end of that. It's just so like black and white. It's really good. You know, it's just, I don't know. I wonder about people who think, oh, Jesus in the New Testament is just all love. You know, it's like, have they read it? Like, do they read what he says? Because it's not all, you know, oh, I don't know, bleeding heart, white-robed, you know. He's pretty brutal sometimes um, because it's the same God in the back and the front of the book. So 
Um, so, anyways, let's go. Let's get into this. So, so you got Yeshua. He's going into Jericho. And there's this guy named Zacchaeus, and he's the chief among the publicans, and so he's really rich. These were the guys that basically were the tax collectors, and, um, you know, you have to understand, and, and put it into today's terms, too. You've got, it'd be like someone from the IRS, essentially, being here, an IRS auditor, working for the man, you know, working for the system, and he's really wealthy, right? Yeah, how, how quick are you going to be best friends with that guy, right? Yeah, not so much. So... So they don't hate him. They don't like him. I actually, funny story. I had a client who actually worked for the IRS. She was really nice though. <laughs> but it was funny. It was almost kind of how people sometimes react to you. It's like, as soon as they say that, it's like the tone changes, you know, because they represent something, right? So you have Zacchaeus and he's basically one of the bad dudes. You know, they all hate him because he's working for the man. He's extracting taxes. And oftentimes what they would do is they would exploit that position uh, get a little bit too much of a good guy deal going and would get wealthy off of it. Um, but Zacchaeus, um, so, he's, so Yeshua is walking along and he says, um, you know, come down, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to eat with you today. And so those who were with him, on verse 7, they all murmur, saying that he's gone to be a geth with a man that's a sinner. You'd think at this point that they would have figured out, like, this is kind of Yeshua's trend is to go and to uh, mingle with those who are not the most savory in there. But that's what I love when you read the Bible, you read the New Testament, you read Yeshua's writings, that he, he deliberately goes into the gray area of life, right? Because we, I, I'll speak for myself, tend to be very one-dimensional in our way of thinking and want things to be clean and want things to be simple. And, and even in, in today's world in which we live in the exile, we were, I was talking about Mar with Marilee last night. It's like you're so, and a little bit what I was talking with you about earlier, it's like you, we're so integrated into the world system because it's all designed by Satan to, to entrap you in the world system, be it money you know, pick your thing. I don't care what it, what it, what it is. But it's, it's everywhere, wrapped in everything, all the time, coming at us from a million different directions. And what I like about Yeshua is he doesn't, he doesn't come as um, like a lot of other false religions where they, you know, he didn't just come and live in a dirt hut on the floor with nothing and people came to him. You know, he went out, he got into the dirty parts of the world, he interacted with the you know, the highs and the lows and, and wove through it perfectly. And I think that was exactly the point of what he was trying to do because as it says, um, where is it here? Oh, in 11. So he's going to speak this parable because he's going up to Jerusalem because they thought the kingdom of God should immediately appear because they thought he was coming. He's going to set up the kingdom. He's going to reign. He's going to kick out the Romans and everything's going to be hunky-dory. But what he's going to go on to tell them is, you're missing the point. There's still these 10 servants. That's why he tells this parable. He's going to, uh, bah, bah, bah. let's see. He said unto a serpent, uh, uh, 12, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. So he tells him exactly what the whole moral of the story is, basically. He's going to receive himself a kingdom. What is a kingdom other than a piece of land? It's the people. 
you can go make yourself a kingdom up in um, the Northwest Territories, but if there's no one there, it's like a kingdom of one when the whole bunch of land, well, whoop-de-doo, you know, you've got nothing. So he has to have a kingdom and he has to have a kingdom full of people. And so he has to go gather his people to be able to rebuild his kingdom. And that's what the whole kind of moral of the story is. And so what he understands about that is, is they're all scattered in the ugly places of life. And we're all having to navigate, just like Zacchaeus, through wherever we've ended up, for better or for worse, whether it was intentional or unintentional. Um, but you had, we were talking about this the other day, it's like you had in the exile Daniel working for a pretty terrible guy. You had Mordecai working for terrible people. So, you know, the purest side of me says, we, I should be able to extract myself and go live on a mountain somewhere and, or sail my boat away and, you know, not be paid taxes that go to promote abortion around the world and do all these horrible things. But like what some of us are doing and what we're all trying to do is you, we have to live within that, like you wrote about in your blog, and still be a light and still be a catalyst for something positive something that is worthwhile, something that creates change in the midst of that, because that's where the 10 servants are. They're all scattered all over the place. And so we have to be used by God as his tools for rebuilding the kingdom. And it's, and it's in the ugly places. Uh, and that's exactly where Yeshua goes. But the normal... Um, you know, high-minded religious society, you know, lives in ivory towers and doesn't come down. And we, we, we create our wannabe utopian societies with our big churches that become massive businesses. You know, meanwhile, the foundations are crumbling. And so, um, what I wanted to get... Okay, so let's keep going here. So, um, so we talk to Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus says, hey... I'm actually not that bad of a guy. <laughs> he says in 8, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. So even if he has a false accusation, he gives back fourfold, which is even more, it's beyond even what the Torah required. So then Yeshua says unto them, This day is salvation come to his house, which is kind of like, because he is salvation. Uh-huh. <laughs> and um, I lost my train of thought there with my own cool joke. Where were we? So, da, 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 da. salvation. For as much as he also is a son of Abraham. So at the time, the, and that's why they murmured saying, why are they going, why is he going into the house of a, a, a sinner? But Yeshua is saying, no, he, he is a son of Abraham. And because it's really important to understand, and I'm not going to get into it too deeply right now, but part of what the whole issue and debate, and it's essential to proper understanding in the New Testament and uh, the Apostolic Writings, is what was going on with the first century in regards to who is in the kingdom and who isn't in the kingdom, and what makes you in the kingdom? How do you get into the kingdom? Do you, is it via being a proselyte? Are you born into it? Do you have to be good enough? Can you get cacked out? What if you're not circumcised? 
And so there's all these questions in this entangled web that's going on, and that's what Paul deals with. That's why people get all messed up in Paul. And so um, it's really important to understand all that. And you see a little snippet of it here because from the outside, they're looking at Zacchaeus and saying that, I don't want to swear, that jerk uh, is ex- ex- uh, exploiting his own people. So no way he's in the kingdom. And Yeshua is saying, oh, actually, no, he is a son of Abraham. He's in the kingdom, even though he's a tax collector, even though he's working for the man. You can still... Now, whether or not he stayed there, I don't know. I mean, you know, life's not clean and it's not complicated. And back in this day, you know, your very life could be at stake for your certain actions that you took. It was not like today where, you know, most of us aren't in fear of being killed for the most part. Um, Unless, anyway, I'll shut up. (laughs) Uh, So... So he's making a big point. It's actually a very big point that he's making there. So like I was saying, unless you understand the culture of what's going on in the first century, which unfortunately um, the church has done a really good job of sponging that into some sort of nothingness, cliche, bumper sticker, lack of any culture. You know, you don't study Shakespeare and not take into account what was going on in, in, in England at the time. You know, you got you to gotta understand what's going on at the time in the history and the culture. So it's really important to give you context. Um, okay, so keep going here. So this whole idea that, you know, we're, we're in the gray area. Yeshua comes. He doesn't just take us out of it. He gives us what we need to be able to get through it, and we're supposed to be a light in all of this. That's kind of the premise of hopefully where I'm going with all of this. So we keep going on. Verse 10. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. So... And, it, and it's, it's, it's not coincidental when we get down to 13 that he talks about the 10 servants. Because again, you don't understand what happened with the splitting of the kingdoms with the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom and the tribes and everything that was going on in that situation. You're going to miss things, especially when you get into the New Testament. Because what happened was the kingdoms were split because of what Solomon did. And you had the 10 lost tribes, 10 tribes who were scattered. And this is debated. I'm not going to get into the fine points of all of that. But they get, they get taken away by the Syrian captivity. And it's not an all-in-one mass. A lot of them left. I mean, they went all over the place. And then for all intents and purposes, lost their identity. So what the prophecies are, that if you read in Ezekiel, especially in Isaiah, that the, the 12 tribes, all these 10 tribes, they're going to be gathered back. And they're going to be reunited back in the land. Nobody knows who they are. It doesn't matter what your bloodline is. So... You know, if you want to do a DNA test, go for it, but it doesn't matter as far as God's concerned. Um, I'm really getting off track. So he's coming to seek and to save that which was lost. And as he heard these things, he added and spake a parable because he was nigh to Jerusalem and because they thought that the kingdom of God might immediately appear. So he's going, he's talking to this tax collector. They're like, wait a minute, this guy's, you know, so he's, um, he's kind of, stabbing their brains a little bit as far as who's in the kingdom, right? But they're also thinking he's going to set up the kingdom and they'd be first in line because they're the most righteous ones to be in the kingdom, right? And so he's telling them this story because basically to say, no, I'm not here to set up the earthly kingdom. I'm here to seek and to save that which was lost, which are my people. And that has to then go out unto all the world. 
That's why this Holy Spirit, all these things get misconstrued because there's a job to be done and it's going to be in the dirty gray areas with the tax collectors. So it's really, uh, it's, I don't know, it's so pertinent and I think it's so, I don't know, it was encouraging to me. So let's keep going here. All right, so what's, he, what's the moral of this story? What's he, he's going to tell us now what we need to do. 12. He said, therefore, a certain noble man went into a far country to receive himself for a kingdom and to return. So he's talking about himself right there. And he called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, Occupy till I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a message after him saying, We'll not have this man to reign over us. I <laughs> uh, love it. Uh, so, so he's going, he's, he's setting up himself a kingdom. He's gathering these people, and he's got his ten servants. It's ten, the ten lost tribes. And he gives them what they need to produce fruit while he's gone. And so that when he returns, he comes back for his people, as well as that which they've produced in the meantime. And so uh, he, he, he says, occupy till I come. It's really interesting. In this form, it's... It, you know, it comes from a root of a Greek word, which is also related to a Hebrew word. But it only, hap- it only occurs one time in the Bible. So anytime you see a word in the Bible that only happens one time, it's pretty important usually to pay attention to that. So he says, occupy till I return. Interestingly, if I did my research correctly, in Hebrew, this word is the same or very similar to the word, word, dvar. And the whole point of the word is to do it, which occupy, do work, get after it. So we're supposed to keep his word, occupy, do work, his work, produce fruit till he returns. Because he says his word not, will not return unto him void. He sends it out there to, to have an effect and to make something happen. And that happens via his people because we're the only ones who are doing, maintaining, upholding, and spreading his word. And so he say he gives these pounds, this his word to his uh, his servants, and says, "All right, now go get to work. Go do what you're supposed to do." <laughs> and what do they say? Uh, they hated him and sent in a message after saying, "We will not have this man reign over us." <laughs> just, I think that's hilarious. Because what what was the trend? He sends them judges and prophets and kings and. And they just continually rebel. They continually disobey. It's the same thing today. You know, we don't have, uh, you know, kings and prophets and rulers and reigners and all that stuff. But well, what is the, the God's people? Well, we use that term extremely loosely, whether you're Judaism or you're on the Christianity side of the spectrum. Do they, they, they bend the book to what they want it to be. They say, well, we're only going to do the first half. Or they say, well... We're only going to do the second half. I mean, we're going to pick and choose from wherever we feel like. And so the growth, or that which you produce from the word, that which you're supposed to do, the occupation, is stunted. And it doesn't produce what it's supposed to. So maybe you're only producing uh, five pounds. Or maybe you just hid it under a bushel and didn't produce a thing. It's not good for those guys. So, and it's really bad if you're one of the enemies. (laughs) So... He goes, and they, the citizens hate him, and they say, we're not doing what you say. You don't, own, you don't own me. And it came to pass that he was returned, having received the kingdom. So he's coming back, and he's going to receive his kingdom. All right? 
Then he commanded that these servants be called unto him to whom he had given the money, that he might know how much every man had gave by trading. So you get the first guy. He says, hey, I gained another 10 pounds. And God says, good work, good job. You did, you did well. You're going to reign over 10 cities. And the second one, he says, hey, I, I made five pounds off of the pound that you gave me. He says, all right, good. You're doing, you, you get five cities. The other one says, there, here's my pound. I hid it under a bushel, I mean a napkin, and I was afraid because I knew that they're an austere man, and thou takest up that which thou layest not down, and reapest that which thou didst sow. That uh, phrase there, I had no idea really what it meant for a long time, and maybe you guys did, and I was just stupid. But at least as I understand it now, and there's probably more dynamic meanings to it than, than that, but when Yeshua returns in the parables that he uses, as, as uh, the reapers come, they, they reap everything. But God only sowed the good seed. And the deceiver came in and sowed all the tares with it. But when he returns, he cuts down everything. He, he reaps everything, and, and the tares are uh, bundled up, and they're burned, and the, the rest is put into the storehouses. And so this guy knows it. He knows that he's coming back for everything. And, and, and I don't, you know, I, I, as I was reading this, I was thinking, you know, why... Knowing this, why didn't he do something? But then I quickly think, having my Bible on my shelf, why don't I do anything? Which makes me think, why don't I do anything? And, and, I, and the only thing I can really come up with is it's a willful act of indecision to not do anything is really what it is. Uh, I read an interesting book lately, and it said, if you don't make decisions for yourself, someone else will make them for you. The action will be taken. It's just whether or not you direct it or not. It's kind of like I sail my boat around. I can let go of the tiller and be like, I don't want this responsibility. Or I'm just going to sit here and just look at the sky, you know, which is what you know, a, a common path in life. But life doesn't just keep going on cruise control. You know, there's, two, there's the wind changes, the currents change, there's everything. You live in a changing environment. And so that boat's going to go somewhere. Something's going to affect and put pressures on your life to direct where your ship's going to go. So you either make the decisions and control it or you don't. And by default, they will be negative if you don't choose the course of action. And so it's a willful act of indecision to not do anything. And I, I don't know, it must just be human nature to not want to shoulder the work and the responsibility of, of living rightly. I think some people struggle with it more than others, um, but I think it's just part of the fall. And I think, you know, why didn't Adam do anything when he was standing there, stupid wimp? Because he was a stupid wimp. <laughs> and so men, for all eternity now, are having to fight our stupid wimpness. You know? <sighs> So, because of his willful decision to not take action, 
he says unto him, out of thy own mouth will I judge thee. So whether or not, and what's interesting is that what that servant, when it came to, when judgment day came time, what he said to his master is what at some point he said to himself and willingly, you know, decided to do. So in other words, even in our own minds, we lie to ourselves. We don't tell ourselves the truth. We, we put that off and we just try not to think about it. And I'll box that over there, the reality of the situation of what you're doing or not doing. You know, so we have to be cognizant of that in our own lives that we are quite capable of being horrible people, even if it's just in our minds. And being honest with that, telling ourselves the truth, so that then we can come face to face with our ugly selves and like, dang, I better get to work and occupy and do this word because it is worth it. I'll benefit, the world will benefit, and it's not a clean path. Like, this is ambiguous. Yeshua shows up into a tax collector's house, the scumbag of a fill in your four letter word, and and eats with him, and everyone, why is he going in with this guy? So he's like, let me tell you something. And he gives them then this parable to show them what's really going on in their own hearts and lives so that they can actually change and do what's right. So out of your own mouth will I judge thee, thou wicked servant. Thou knewest that I was an austere man, taking up that which I laid not down, and reaping that did I uh, that I did not sow. Wherefore then gavest not thou money into the bank, that at my coming I might have required my own with usury? And he said unto them that stood by, Take from him the pound, give it to him that hath ten pounds. For I say unto you, that unto every one which hath shall be given, and from him that hath not, even that he hath, shall be taken away from him. But those enemies, which would not that I should reign over them, bring hither and slay them before me. So you still don't want to be an enemy. It's even worse if you're the enemy. It's just like, whoosh, you did. So I hope this was somewhat of a blessing to you. Um, it was to me. I don't know. I always feel like these types of messages are like a downer. I don't, I don't know why. But in ways, I think, I don't know, maybe encouraging. I guess it's encouraging to me that Yeshua didn't... What I, and then what I love about the Bible is... It's not in the, I, like I said, when, even when I was praying, it's not some idyllic, uh, maxim-filled, uh, I don't even know what I'm trying to say, squeaky clean model that is not real. You know, it's real. You read, I mean, I remember the first time I finally, I don't know how old I was, I finally started reading through the Bible for myself, and one of the first things I realized is like, these guys were a disaster. I mean, their lives were a freaking disaster. I was like, well, maybe I shouldn't be so hard on myself. <laughs> but, the, but because the world is a disaster, people's lives are a disaster. And that's the whole point. Is that's why God sent his word. That's what maintains and restores and gives order and gives structure. And that's what judging is. Giving judgment is to set things right, is what it literally means. So that there can be peace on earth. You know, peace on earth isn't like, no, uh, I don't want to 
stop singing stupid songs. You know, don't sing songs. Do what's right. Sing, songs are good. I'm not crapping on songs. You know, I like to sing. But you know what I mean? So anyway, I like how Yeshua is real. He was a real guy. He dealt with real situations that weren't clean. We all live in those gray areas of life because we're in the diaspora and God knew that was going to happen. And so he told us, I've given you my word. Occupy till I return. Figure it out. And he didn't give them any more direction. He didn't give them. He gave them the pounds and said, go do what you're supposed to do with that. Because I think all of us intrinsically know what we're to do, even though we have to step and figure out how we're supposed to live. But I think a lot of times when we say, well, I can't figure it out, like I say to my children, you don't figure it out because you don't want to figure it out. And so I think oftentimes in our own lives, we don't occupy, we don't do what we know we should do with our, the God's word in our lives because we don't want to take the personal ownership and responsibility and the, and the work that, and the cost to our own lives it's going to take. And so we just aren't honest with ourselves. And so we make a willful decision to not make a decision. <laughs> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for this word. I thank you for this day. Uh, I thank you for this time. And uh, I thank you that you're, you're real. I thank you that your word is real uh, and that we can be encouraged by it. And I just pray and thank you that you, you've given us your spirit to give us the spirit of discernment, to give us knowledge, um, to lead us in paths of righteousness. And um, so, I don't know. If, if, I can, if you can help us, me, and just all these basic things on daily life to survive and to get through and to at least produce some fruit. Probably not going to be the guy that produces the 10 pounds, but maybe two or three would be good. So thank you for all these things, Father. In Yeshua's name, I pray. Amen.